Welcome to St. Mary's first season of CaseCast, where one of our very own residents gets to interview our attendings about an interesting case they had in their career, and then give us some pearls that we can apply to our everyday clinical setting. I hope you enjoy the very first episode. Thank you. Hi, good afternoon. This is Mike Wynn, one of the ER residents from St. Mary Mercy. We're doing a podcasting um, event today with uh, Dr. Bame. He's our program director. Again, this is uh, coming from St. Mary Mercy EM Residency. And here with us, we have uh, uh, Dr. Bame. He's our program director who will be talking to us about drowning today. How are you doing, Dr. Bame? I'm doing well, thanks. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm a little nervous. This is my first time, but you know what? Let's uh, let's see how this goes. All right. Well, thanks for having me on. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. So the question I have uh, that I'd like to ask you is, what is your worst drowning patient that you've ever encountered, and how did you manage that? Okay. Well, the the case was back second year of residency, and uh, where I did my residency was on uh, the Detroit River, and there was an annual... um, uh, fishing competition, I believe, for uh, walleye, and it, w- it took place in April. And if you know the Detroit River in April, even though this was the middle to end of April, uh, it, it is literally ice cold. There, there are still chunks of ice floating down the Detroit River at this time. And even though it was about 50 degrees and sunny that day, it was still a cold day. And there was a father who is in his late 50s with his two sons that were in their uh, early to mid 20s, uh, and the boat capsized. And um, the, uh, one of the boys uh, popped up immediately. One of the boys was a little delayed popping up, and there was a prolonged effort to find the father. It was about 15 minutes before he was uh, rescued. And all three came in as pa- uh, priority one patients to our hospital, and I got the father. So when he came in, uh, his core temperature was about 30 degrees uh, centigrade, and uh, he had no vital signs. CPR was being performed en route. Uh, we intubated him, um, we got access, we started warming fluids, uh, continuing with CPR uh, and aggressive ACLS care. Um, and um, we eventually had to put in uh, chest tubes on each side in order to do active rewarming, uh, instilling warm fluid uh, around the lungs, letting it drain. Um, and we found out that the wife was about uh, 90 minutes away. The sons were both fine. Um, they both had vital signs, neurologically intact. One was able to be discharged. The other one was able to uh, was needed to stay for observation. But uh, it was very important for the mother to be able to say goodbye to the to the to the father uh, if he wasn't going to make it. And uh, we continued aggressive care. And probably about 60 minutes in. Um, with a epi drip going, uh, got spontaneous return of circulation. Um, but when I say an epi drip, I'm talking about a high dose epi drip. Uh, he was able to go up to the uh, to the ICU, uh, but ultimately the uh, care was discontinued and um, uh, the patient died. But the mother was able to come. She was able to say goodbye. The boys were able to say goodbye. There was one additional son that uh, came down with the mother. Uh, but um, uh, So the, the family was able to get its wish, uh, but um, ultimately 
like I said, the, the patient type. The, the takeaway from, from the case for me uh, was um, how aggressive we had to be with the rewarming for this patient. Um, and, um, you know, kind of the difficult conversations with the family while we were doing it about whether or not to uh, stop resuscitation efforts or not. I will note that we probably got his core temperature up to uh, somewhere between 35 and 35 and a half before we got any return of uh, spontaneous circulation. I don't think we ever fully rewarmed this patient. Uh, but it was uh, it was definitely you know it was a case that was done a long time ago, but it's it definitely still fresh in the mind. Wow, Doctor Ben, that's incredible. I'm you know it's such a tragic case. I'm you know sorry about that. Um, I was wondering in regards uh, in regards to any clinical pros or anything that you can uh, give us a, a take home uh, takeaway from this for for boards. What would you recommend or what would you say? Sure. Uh, well, you know, in reviewing for this case, uh, came up with a few things that I wanted to bring about. One of them is. Uh, the terminology that we use with these. Uh, so uh, we're trying to get away from the confusing uh, terminology of drowning, near drowning, et cetera, et cetera. Any, any incidents where the patient is underwater uh, and exposed is a drowning, and we define everything else based on its outcomes. So it's either drowning with death, drowning with morbidity, or drowning without morbidity. So I think it's important that uh, we always use a, just like we do with burns, with drowning, we need to always maintain constant uh, terminology. Uh, the second one is, uh, this, uh, the second two that I want to talk about are myths surrounding drownings. Uh, and one of them is uh, the type of water that um, the drownee, if you will, is exposed to really doesn't matter. Um, the volumes that they inhale are more important than, uh, than what the water actually is. So if they aspirate one to three milliliters per kilogram, um, they're going to uh, disrupt their surfactant. Uh, but we don't really worry about electrolyte abnormalities till they uh, aspirate greater than 11 milliliters per kilogram. The second one is um, the idea of C-spine in drowning victims. Uh, so as we know, airway and respiratory is key in the resuscitation effort to the point that we want, to continue, we want to start rescue breaths in the water. So this idea that every drowning victim needs to be placed in C-spine precaution um, will hinder that and probably is not of any benefit. In one uh, uh, large review of nearly 2,500 patients that had submersion injuries, uh, there was only a 0.5% chance of C-spine injury, and all of those had um, evidence of trauma or a history leading up to trauma, i.e. a patient went off a, um, a high-speed motor vehicle accident or fell from a high, uh, high height into the water. Uh, without that type of history or evidence of trauma on the victim, uh, continue, you know, be aggressive with airway, be aggressive with breathing, uh, but don't worry as much about the C-spine. Uh, the final thing, the final two things that I'd like to say are hyperventilation, steroids, dehydration, barbiturate coma and neuromuscular blockade do not improve outcomes on these patients. But the comatose patient, like the one in the case we just talked about, who have been resuscitated after reasonable submersion time, regardless of rhythm, probably shouldn't be rewarmed above 34 degrees, which is 93.2 uh, degrees Fahrenheit. So uh, Mike, I'd like to thank you and the St. Mary's residency for inviting me to your uh, first case cast. And uh, unless you have any other questions, 
No, I don't have any further questions. Uh, Dr. Ben, thank you so much for coming on to this podcast and uh, um, enlightening us with uh, your drying uh, case as well as uh, any uh, uh, the, the, the pros that you gave us. Great. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Dr. Ben. I appreciate it.